Hi everyone, what's your highlight of the week? Thank you for joining us again tonight. This is MIT podcast. MIT stands for Mindset into Transformation. I'm Benjamin Huang, your host tonight. Here we have conversation with people who have done extraordinary thing in their life, how their mindset shift to help them achieve it. We discuss their story of success and the mindset that drive them into achieving the impossible. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Lending is certainly a big portion in real estate.、Uh, how many lenders you've been working with, and what's your experience working with your lenders?、Uh, your lenders is essentially your biggest partner in the deals,、um, at least in most of the real estate deals, and they actually are your uh, uh, most important factors to bring you to your、um, success. Today,、uh, we invite one of my favorite lenders to come in, offering insight to you. On how the lenders changes in 2022, and what to expect to come in the market, and、uh, this information hopefully would help you determine what you should do next.、Um, listening to our podcast today,、uh, we're going to get into a lot of、um, insight from、um, my friend Eric Lavin here.、Um, I hope that you would enjoy the episode. Eric, how's your day? My day is doing fantastic. So, how's your day today, Ben? Very good. Thanks for coming to our podcast.、Um, I really appreciate your time because I know there's always, you know,、uh, things come up and investor, you know, dealing with deals. They would really looking for a quick response.、Um, so, I know you're extremely busy, man.、Um, really appreciate you to come. Thank you for having me.、I、greatly appreciate it. Awesome, Eric. So before we get started, let's、uh, give a little background insight to our listener on what have you done, what are you doing, and how you're currently helping people. So I am a loan officer with Civic Financial Services. Civic Financial Services is one of the nation's largest asset-based lenders,、uh, headquartered out of California. Uh, we have offices in nine states.、Uh, we have 500 employee, 500 plus employees.、Uh, we operate in 29 states.、Uh, we continue to add more states pretty much on an annual basis.、Uh, this year, we have loaned in excess of over two billion dollars to real estate investors.、Um, we average probably close to. Two hundred fifty million to three hundred million a month, and close about six hundred loans a month. We have about seven billion dollars in available capital, and that's important because in today's environment, a lot of lenders do not have capital available to them. One of the reasons we do have capital available to our investors is that we are a subsidiary of a publicly traded bank called Pacific West Bank, out of California. So. We have the advantage of not having to securitize our loans and sell them on Wall Street.、Uh, we balance sheet our loans, and so I think you know it puts us in a very strong position.、Um, you know, many of you out there have probably seen some smaller and even mid-sized、uh, asset-based lenders, hard money lenders,、uh, close their doors recently,、um, simply because they either ran out of money or. They haven't been able to sell their loans for a profit on Wall Street, 
to be able to relend it again. They don't want to take losses on those loans. Right, right. So awesome. I think it puts us in a fairly unique position. Yeah. Um, Eric, uh, we will get into like how the lendings work, uh, especially behind the screen, right? I mean, most of the real estate investor thinks that they're getting a chunk of money from the bank or the lenders. And the lenders are basically just, uh, you know, lending out their own money. Uh, but in, like you said, a lot of cases, they would sell to Wall Street and things like that, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so Eric, uh, we, we've been seeing a lot of changes in the market, you know, from investor perspective, right? Uh, Federal Reserve has been, uh, has been raising the interest rate a lot. Um, I think to today, there's 400 base point um, raise since uh, early this year, something like that, or last yeah. year, right? Um, and that has been driving some uh, asset prices down in some of the market in the U.S. Um, how are you seeing, especially from the investor who reached out to you, how, like how are you seeing the deals so, changes in general? Yeah, so um, seeing deals change in a couple of different ways. Um, what I would say first is, you know, the, the first softness I've seen in the market is in some of the hotter markets in the United States, where there has been some cooling off on increases in, in you know, home prices, uh, markets such as California, Arizona, um, Nevada, historically markets that, that tend to get very uh, heated. Um, and we've seen a, a vast increase in the value of properties over the last couple of years uh, when there was access to relatively inexpensive or quote-unquote easy money, right? Um, so we have seen a slowdown in pricing. But with that said, we also still have an issue with supply in the United States. There are more people looking for homes than what are available in the supply system. There are some uh, cities and regions that have extremely low inventories of homes available for sale. A great case in point might be a San Antonio, Texas, where, uh, you know, on average over the last couple of years, San Antonio's had less than 30 days of supply. Wow. In the United States, organically, we kind of need six months of housing inventory supply just to keep up with death, growth, new people buying, you know, the movement from smaller to larger houses as we become more successful in life. Um, and it's just not there at the moment, right? There's a shortage. Uh, that has created a great opportunity for investors uh, who are buying because they are thinking with a business mindset at, against first-time home buyers, for example, who don't have the 20% to put down. And of course, in this market, where you have also high interest rates going or higher interest rates um, going on right now, uh, it has obviously priced certain buyers out of market and they have to rent, right? So yep. for the real estate investor, that's a tremendous opportunity, right? Because they can own it, continue to get some equity, although I do envision a period of some pullback in some markets. What that percentage is, is really going to depend. You know, some markets might pull back 20%. Some might only pull back 5%. You know, it just depends where you are. Um, and it depends on how much the market went up. Uh, it depends on mm -hmm. the demographics moving into the market or moving out of the market. 
you know, those will all have a factor in that. Right. Where I've not seen much of a slowdown in pricing on home prices is in that sub 400 market. Most of where I've seen a big slowdown is in that uh, north of 600 market. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's because in the sub 400 market, yes, it's high historically, but it's still somewhat reasonable. You can still get homes for, you know, one, Affordable. two, three, four hundred thousand dollars, right? They're out there. They might right. need to be rehabbed, but they are available. People are, you know, going into older neighborhoods, renovating, um, then turning around and turning them into rental properties or potentially selling them off as a flip. Right. Right. Awesome. So there's one point that you just touched on. Uh, I want to dive in a little more. Uh, basically, when the interest rate are rising, we are seeing the reductions of the ability to leverage. So if you're a real estate investor and you it requires you to put in more than 20% or sometimes like 20% or if, if not more of cash, then basically um, it impacts you only the 80% or lower um, to leverage. But if you are a home buyer, Usually you put put down like five percent or in some cases three point five percent, then what require you to leverage is like ninety five percent or higher. Yeah, sometimes one hundred percent if you're doing a VA loan. Exactly, exactly. So so when uh, the Federal Reserve is is raising the interest rate, it it reduces your ability to leverage, and the home owners or the the people who are looking for to to buy their very first house are heavily impacted, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a year ago, if you looked at, and I'm just going to use an odd number because I, I like to make things even. If right. you were looking at a million dollar property a year ago, a million dollar property, if you were a consumer, would have probably run you with taxes and insurance, let's say 5000 a month, right? Uh, for your holding cost. Today, that same property is going to run you eight, $9,000. That's a large impact on people's, you know, economic income. Right. If you're looking at a $200,000 house, the numbers are obviously going to be a little different. Maybe it impacts it by six or $700, but even that can make a difference, you know, for, for an average consumer buyer, right? Because mm -hmm. consumers, remember, are having to pay this out of their pocket. You as an investor are collecting rent from these people, right? So, but with that said, higher interest rates have made on our side, um, affected loan to values also. Because in our business, as an asset-based lender, we're looking at what's called something called DSCR or debt service coverage ratio, which is a ratio between net rent, net rent being gross rent less a haircut for maintenance, which for most lenders is 10%. Right. And we're comparing that to what is the payment for the mortgage, the insurance, and the taxes. If those three numbers are equal to or less than the net rent, then you have a debt service coverage of what's called 1.0 or better. In our company, 1.0 is the minimum for us to be able to do a loan. Mm -hmm. When we were in rates at the 4%, we could leverage to 80% all day long. It was easy. With rates in the sevens and eights, that becomes a more difficult conversation because rates have gone up substantially faster than rents have gone up. 
And rents, I'm not saying they, they've capped because I don't think they have rents always go up. And, just, and, and with inflation, rents will continue to go up. But I don't know if they'll go up at the same pace that they've been going up because there is a, a finite line where you can price your property out that nobody can rent that, right? That's mm-hmm. the other side of coin. You have to, to measure against that. And that's where that play between interest rate, leverage, and rent really comes into a holistic point of view where you got to talk with your lender and say, what makes the most sense? How do we make this deal work? You know, maybe, and this is something I've started to see and do more often is rather than putting a long-term loan on, we put a two-year bridge loan on. Yes, the bridge is a little bit more expensive rate-wise, but it doesn't require the same debt service coverage requirements, right? So you can secure the property in the hopes that somewhere in the next two years, the Federal Reserve will ease rates. And, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit because, and I I kind of want to talk about rates for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, Rates have been going up. Uh, We see inflation north of 8%. Um, Even with the hard line that the Federal Reserve has taken with these 75 point rate, uh, basis point rate increases, a, it takes it takes some time. There's no, you know, Wall Street will have an immediate effect, right? But in the real world, those hikes take time to flow down into the economy, right? Right. And so the Fed at this point has already indicated that they are going to raise rates at the final two FOMC meetings here at the end of the year. So we can expect another point and a half increase from the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. What they're trying to do is crush inflation. They have a target market number or target rate they're looking at of 2% inflation. To do that, they need to essentially slow down the U.S. economy. Right. Uh, they need to create job loss. Um, they need to burn off jobs. That's going to be a problem, too, because there's excess jobs and not enough applicants right now. Right. That's right. a problem in itself. Right. So we're going to have to burn it off. I expect, based on my readings and the, and, the, and the things I read and listen to, I would expect the recession to really come into play sometime next year. Basically, the pain. I don't think it'll be right. Yeah, I'm like, sorry. Like, go ahead. like basically, the the pain that people are feeling is yes, going to come the in. Real pain. There's pain now. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. The pain is at the gas pump. The pain is at the you know food. But the job loss pain has not really come, come to fruition yet. And we're not going to be able to fix that until we have that recession. So right. we will have a recession more than likely next year. Um, my readings of it, listening to people like Jamie Dimon, reading the Financial Times, The Economist, and other you know, mm-hmm. top uh, economic uh, people, is that it will be a fairly tough recession, but not an overly long recession. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it'll be like 08, 09, where we have, you know, three years of recession. I think, you know, we're probably looking at something in the neighborhood of six months. And of course, the upside of that is once we've done that, at that point, the Federal Reserve now has the tools to stimulate the economy. They will lower rates. So Assuming- if you ask me, where do I see rates in five years? Right. I see them lower than they are now. 
Now, mm-hmm. I don't know where the high is yet, so it's it's right. it's hard for me to to gauge. But I do believe it'll be lower five years from now than it is now, right, which will right. be an opportunity to refinance at that point. Exactly, and and assuming by then Federal Reserve can really bring down inva- uh, inflation, right? Because because there were there were a lot of uh, discussions on uh, when Federal Reserve is going to stop hiking, right? And there and there are people saying that. Right. If if you uh, if Federal Reserve raise the rate to a certain level, the U.S. government won't even be, be able to pay off their their interest on their debt. And that's why well, they can't keep raising. But that's no longer the case. Yeah, right. That's not that's, the case. That's um, not the case. The, the Fed, Federal Reserve are just keep hiking right now. And, you know, there, there are people saying now that until something break. The Federal Reserve won't stop, but now there's even people talking about they're just going to keep hiking until the inflation are are truly being being you know being brought down, right? Yeah, I mean, there's listen, the, there's two two parts to that. So one, the Federal Reserve rates can raise rates indefinitely. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the 1970s, we had hyperinflation. Uh, Paul Volcker at the time, who was the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, realized that he needed to absolutely shock the economy. Right. And I believe the Federal Reserve rate in 1979, 1980, got 19 to 22% somewhere in that area. You're right. I mean, people had mortgages that were 25%. 25, yes. Um, it, you know, um, it, it, it happened. It existed. He did essentially create a large recession. He did eventually control the hyperinflation. I think for the Fed to stop raising rates, we need to see a decrease in either CPI or in the Phillip curve, right? Which is another um, uh, indicator, another dynamic graph chart that they use of of data uh, to determine inflation. I think if the Fed was to see rates come, you know, see inflation come back into the sevens, and they felt that it was beginning to see that decline, I think we would stop seeing an increase in rates because there'd be no point at that point, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if what they're doing is having the effect of bringing rates down that they're trying to do, then at that point, there's no need to continue to raise rates. We can leave rates flat. Now, I also want to add that just because rates go up and goes up by, say, 75 basis points, does not mean that we as lenders always raise our rate to match the Fed. Some will go higher, but some will go less. The Federal Reserve raised at 75 basis points last time. We waited a little bit and we looked at the market. We looked at where we were at. We looked at where our competitors were at. We looked at where banks who do conventional mortgages were at. And we said, you know what? We need to be a little higher, but we didn't need to go all the way. So we only went up, say, 50 basis points. Right. Right. So, you know, the Fed's moves and lenders' moves don't necessarily correlate on a one-to-one basis. It's not, you know, the alpha is not a match. It's it's not a delta where it matches to it, right? Right, right. So so basically what you're saying is the uh, Federal Reserve, uh, you know, hike rates, especially on the, the, uh, you know, shorter terms of Treasury and on the longer term, you know, that's been, you know, more more impacted by the market, um, is 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 not always one to one 
conversion to what uh, Federal Reserve is doing. Yeah, it's 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 not, and 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 it also depends on the lender too. You know, some lenders change their rates on a daily basis. They look at the so what's called SOFR index, which right. is what has essentially replaced LIBOR. And for those who don't really know the difference, LIBOR was a forward-looking indicator. It was subject to manipulation. SOFR is based on past transactions, and so it's a backwards look at what actually happened. And so it's it's a more relative and more accurate indicator of where the market is today, rather than trying to guess where it's going to be thirty days from now.、Mm-hmm. We generally tend to only change rates if the Fed changes rates.、Mm-hmm. We're not we're not changing it on a daily basis.、Um, I know lenders who've been on the phone and literally change rates in the middle of a conversation with somebody, you know,、uh-huh. um, because that's what comes down from high above. Yeah,、um, you know we're not we're generally we don't do that we don't change on a daily basis we think that that's inconvenient to investors、um, and it's inconvenient to our own business model you know we have a lot of repeat customers、uh, or people who put in multiple loans at one time and you know we want to be able to give them some form of stability when they're looking at their pro formas to say okay I can put in five loans and I know what I'm going to get you know right and that makes、so- a, a big difference also. Right for real estate investor, this is truly a big thing.、Um, you know, when we're looking at deal, we really need to have a tentative rate to underwrite deals. And if you're dealing with a lender who can literally just change your rate over the phone, then you know those really create inconvenience to the investor, even vetting. They do. The, the well, and, it, and, it, and in some ways, in a bad way, I think it, it's a way of pushing an investor to make a decision immediately. Right. Um, you know, I personally have a different philosophy. I'm a relationship builder, not a transactional type of person. You know, my job is to help an investor be successful in their endeavor, right, and in their investments. Right.、Um, you know, lending is a second career for me.、Uh, I used to raise capital in the financial markets for companies in my first career, and that's all about relationships. You want to build strong relationships. You want to work with a lender that doesn't think you're just a number. Want to deal with a, a lender that thinks you're a person, right? And and gets to know you, and wants to educate you whether you're, whether you're an experienced investor or a new investor, right? You know, they be, they have different needs. They have different questions. The conversations may be different, but the advice I give is still relevant to what their scenario is going to be. Right,、um, Eric. There's one point that you touch on.、Uh, you know, I, I see that to be something that we 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 should dive into a, a bit further. So let me take take a, a step back.、Uh, you talk about that、um, in four like four hundred fifty thousands range. You see the、uh, the pricing hold up pretty well, but for the house that that are more than six hundred thousands. You see a slowdown, and I wonder if that is because of the、uh, income versus debt ratio, or you know, the affordabilities ceiling. What do you think? It's a combination. It's a combination of two things. So you know, we as an asset-based lender don't use debt-to-income ratio.、Um, that's not a relevant、um, relevant number to us. Okay, because we're an asset-based lender,、mm-hmm. and we use DSCR rather than debt-to-income ratio. 
Right. But there, there's two reasons for softening. One is, yeah, wages obviously have not gone up. Well, wages have gone up. Inflation's gone higher than wages. So there's actually wage depression uh, theoretically out there. So even though you're making more, you're really, your buying power is less. Right. Um, you know, as you get to the higher end homes, those are luxuries, right? Well, even if you're an investor buying an Airbnb, right, that you want to buy on the water, those homes have substantially higher carrying costs. And, you know, you have to sit there and think to yourself, how much more, and it's also a smaller base of, of people looking at these homes, right? Yeah. You know, most people are not looking at homes 600000 or more, not even investors. There are some investors that do that, but it's not, you know, it, it's really a market-driven thing. In California, you're going to see that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, California has a lot, you know, shoot, California, you, studios can run you $600,000, right. right? But if you're looking in Georgia or Florida, you know, uh, in the Midwest, in Ohio, Indiana, that's not going to be as big of an issue, right? So you, you're not running across that as much with investors. But what it does tell me is that that's always the first sign that you're going to see some kind of slowdown market. It's always going to be in the, the high-end properties first, right? And then it it trickles down into the lower properties, right, mm-hmm. as time goes on, depending on where ultimately inflation goes. Right. right. When 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 market changes, you know, the people living in class A will move to class B and class B will move to part of class C and class C will move to street. Right. That's yeah. basically a lot. You know, and which, which, which makes a big difference. You know, yeah. it, it's certainly becoming a buyer's market more than a seller's market now. And, right. and even on the lower ends, you know, a year and a half ago, I read a story. Um, somebody put a house up for sale in Arizona. It was in the Scottsdale area. The first day they had 185 offers, wow. of which over half of them were all cash, right? And big bidding wars and all those kind of crazy things. That, that's gone away. You know, I see properties that have been sitting on the market for a while. And I'll look at that and I'll talk to a client about that. I'll say, if, you know, a client brings me a property that's been on the market for seven months, I'm going to ask why. You know, why has this property been on for seven months? What's, where do you see the value of buying this property? What are you trying to get out of this property, right? You know, if something's been sitting for seven months on the market, there's a reason why, right? Mm-hmm. Goal is to kind of dig in and find out what that reason why is. But like I said, there's still a shortage in that lower end market. There's still a lot of people looking to be first-time home buyers. And they're just having great difficulty, which, again, creates a great opportunity for the investor, because those people still need a place to live. Right, right. Awesome. Um, Eric, a lot of people that um, I, I, I met was telling me, hey, the, the interest rate are, are going much higher it, it, and the price are also elevated. It really makes no sense for real estate investor to buy any any houses right now. Um, but to be okay. honest, I, 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 I disagree. Right. I mean, that, uh, you know, sophisticated investor make money on the way up and also make money on the way down. Right. So yep. uh, from lending perspective, what would you tell those people who stopped buying or was trying to get into it and just, you know, now holding back? Well, I, I look at it and say, look, it's, it's about opportunity cost. Right. Real estate creates wealth. 
real estate is not the stock market. It's not something you play by the hour, right? We're not day trading on real estate properties. There is always going to be some fluctuation in markets. Um, you know, if we look back to 2005, when the market was super hot, right? The last time it was super hot, before the Great Recession, this is what housing was doing all over the country. Now, we had the Great Recession. That was a credit crisis, not inflation. That was a different cause. But housing went down substantially, in some cases 40%. We are now 10, 12, 13 years removed from that. And those same properties today that dropped 40% are worth more now than they were after the last great rise before the Great Recession. So if you're a real estate investor and you're renting out and you hold, you are at some point, unless you've made a poor decision in where you bought and the property you bought, you are more than likely, not guaranteed, because there's only two things guaranteed in life, according mm -hmm. to Ben Franklin. That's a DAXIS. Mm -hmm. All right. If you buy real estate and you hold it long enough, there is a very good chance that you will eventually have equity. Either A, because you're paying down your debt. Um, if you're cash flowing it, you're going to, you know, once your debt's kind of set, you know, you're going to be able to continue to raise rent. At some point, you're going to refi it into a lower number. When that happens, you'll start to see the market go back up again. There is a natural progression to real estate. Like any other asset class, there are ups and downs. If I was a consumer today, I would be skeptical of maybe buying today, depending on what I was looking for. Because as a consumer, again, it's coming right out of my pocket, out of my income every month. I'm not generating anything out of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an investment, it's a place for me to live. And I might not want to eat someone's equity that they've built up, right? I might say, you know what? I know the market's gonna come down, I'll wait a little bit. But if you're an investor, it's a, different, it's a different thought process. It goes, can I make cash flow on this property? Can I buy it? And either if it's turnkey, rent it out, or if I can buy it and, you know, put some rehab into it and then rent it out or rent it, you know, put rehab and sell it because obviously there's still people buying properties, right? Depending on where you're located and depending on the price of the property, there is still opportunity out there. And again, real estate is a long game. It's not a short game. Um, you know, there's a reason that institutional buyers are out there buying properties like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. They're buying these properties like crazy because they have the cash and they know in the long run that these properties, yeah, they might go down five. Per I read an article, I think the other day says year over year, they're expecting a 5.5% drop in real estate. Mm -hmm. It's not really a big drop. No, it's not. You know, so yeah, will the market come down? Will some come down more than five and a half percent? Probably. But at the same time, you know, you're buying this as a long term hold. You're taking loans that are, you know, sometimes as long as 30 year terms. Right. You're not you're not buying this as a short term. If you are, you're a fix and flip guy. That's a different story. Right. Exactly. They look at properties differently. Exactly. But if you're a long term real estate investor creating long term uh, net worth and value and wealth for yourself then you still want to be able to continue to buy properties. It's mm -hmm. like dollar cost averaging in a market. Sometimes you're going to buy it high. Sometimes you're going to buy it low. 
but over time you're going to end up ahead if you hold it long enough. Right. Exactly. With that um, said, it doesn't mean you should take loan rates. Like in our firm, we offer interest only loans that are 30 year terms with a fixed period of time of five, seven or 10 years. I tell my clients avoid the seven and 10 year. It's expensive right now. Why would you want to pay an extra 150, 200 basis points if you think rates are going to be lower five years from now and you have the ability to refi three years from now when it prepays that, mm-hmm. right? Then if you want to refi it into something that's a longer term with a fixed period, okay, that makes sense. But to do it now because you think rates are going to go up forever doesn't make sense. And with that, if you're doing an interest-only arm, there are caps on that. So some of the things investors say to me as well, if I do a variable rate, you know, after the five years, and interest rates at the Federal Reserve are at 30%, oh, I'm going to be at 30%. That's not how it works. There's a limit to how much it can go up or down, because, by the way, arms can go up or down. Mm -hmm. How much it can go up or down every year, and there are also a lifetime cap on all arms. Mm -hmm. So on most, on a five-year arm, the most it could ever go up after that five-year fixed period would be 2% in a single year. I doubt it would do that, right? Unless rates were like really high one way or the other, or really low the other way. There's also a maximum lifetime of 5%. So if you get a loan for, let's call it eight for argument's sake, right? No matter what, it will take at least three years to get to the max, right? Mm-hmm. And the most it could ever be would be 13% at eight. So if, if the Federal Reserve was at 19, you could still never be higher than 13. Right. Would never, that would never change, right? And, 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 that, that, go down again. and that apply to general arms or just the arms that you... That applies to almost out. every arm I've ever seen. Every arm is going to have a cap. I see. So basically in, in 2007, 2008, people who are holding arm, they they got into trouble was that they did not budget enough on cash flow and they lose their job. They're not able to keep the property. That is why the crisis occurred. Um, so 2008 really was a credit crisis. It was easy lending. Um, you had a lot of uh, no doc loans, stated income, um, not just in the investor world, but in the consumer world. And so you're, you're exactly right. You know, we saw, you know, people making thirty, forty thousand a year buying million dollar homes because they could do it with no money down. They did stated income and said, Well, I make a million dollars. And they were hoping to flip it three weeks later, you know, for a hundred thousand. I'll tell you a quick funny story. It got to the point prior to the Great Recession, this is when I knew things were this is when I knew it was time to escape, right? Mm. They were building a new development where we lived near where we lived in Florida at the time. And rather than putting up a model house, they opened their sales store in a strip mall. And on the day they opened, there was a line of 300 people to buy these 70 homes. And people would go in, the first people in line, bought the home, maybe paid 200, 250,000, walked to the back of the line and assigned their contract to the guy at the back of the line. For three hundred fifty thousand, wow! He then took the contract, walked to the back of the line, and assigned it to somebody else for five hundred thousand. By the end of the day, these things were seven hundred thousand dollars. 
Wow. They hadn't even broken ground yet. On a quarter of a million dollar home selling for 700000 in a day, you know, that's when things got out of hand. And, of course, Lehman Brothers blew up and everything blew up. And we had this huge credit crisis that put, you know, a great strain on the global economy uh, because these were big firms and ruined a lot of mortgage companies, countrywide mortgage. I think it was a countrywide. I think it was countrywide. Um, that all got in trouble and nobody knew where the docks were. And it was just, it was a mess. Yeah. This current interest rate problem we're having is not that. This is to some degree overspending by the federal government after COVID. You know, um, we, we kept adding programs that passed the point where we should have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that created in, inflation. Two, you had global supply chain issues that created inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, three, you still have some of those issues in places like China where they still uh, live under a zero COVID policy and a city of 5 million people can be quarantined and nothing happens, you're going to have supply issues. And of course, we have the, the conflagration of a war in, in Europe, mm-hmm. which affects food prices because it affects wheat and fertilizer and, you know, general fear of the markets, Right. And energy, of course, is involved in that because Russia is a large energy producer. So there are factors that are outside of the control of what the Federal Reserve and the federal government can do to control inflation. You know, somebody said to me, well, drill, baby, drill. We can start drilling today, but it takes years for these things to come to fruition. You know, nothing happens overnight. So the Federal Reserve is using the, the only tool they really have available to them. Mm-hmm. And their tool is interest rates. And mm-hmm. it is an effective tool, but it is a hammer. Mm-hmm. It is not a chisel. Yeah. It's it, it's not a fine controller. It's it, it it's not not, you know, able to just target a certain sector or target a certain pain point. Right. Correct. Um Eric, um, I, I, I really appreciate you provide such uh, insight to the market and all the contents that you provide today should give real estate investor uh, you know more reference on what they should think about and 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 the and, and that impact the decision they're making. Um, to to uh, one question that we ask almost every guest come to our show is: Is there a books or articles that you would refer people to go read that impact you significantly over your times in real estate? You know. I, I read so much, it's hard for me to choose one or two. What I would tell investors is get involved in a local organization like REIA, you know, Real Estate Investment Association of America. Mm-hmm. Find a local real estate group like that. IMN is another one. Um, you know, get involved in these organizations. They provide education. Um, they provide opportunities to mingle with other investors, both large and small, to talk to a lot of different lenders you know, to talk to other people that can offer other programs that can help you in your decision-making. You know, I ran across a technology company that does all this demographic information and, you know, can help you identify good neighborhoods that fit your model based on your pricing and what you want to spend. You know, they have guest speakers every week. You know, books on real estate, the problem is, is a book written 10 years ago doesn't, isn't relevant to what's 
germane in today's world, right? Yeah. Good point. Good point. So. Yeah, I mean, nowadays there are so many different sources that you can get education and books is is one way, but it may not be the most efficient way. Um, so yeah. great point, Eric. Um, but the bottom line is go out and get your education, really learn about things before you take action and then take action, right? A lot of people just consume the information and just sit there and not doing anything. That won't get you anywhere. Um, Eric, I yeah. really appreciate you today. Uh, how can people find you? So you can find me uh, two ways. Um, you can either email me at Eric Levine, uh, and it's E-R-I-C dot L-E-V-I-N-E at civic, C-I-V-I-C-F-S dot com. I can be reached on my cell phone at 954-600-1871. You can also visit my business website, which is www. Civic Financial, Civic FS, so C-I-V-I-C-F-S dot com forward slash my name, Eric Levine. And I'll bring you to my website. And we put up a bunch of stuff about all our different programs. Uh, there's a way for you to reach out to me through that. You know, I'm here. I, I'm more than glad to have conversations with anybody and just talk to them. You don't have to feel that you're going to be pressured into doing alone. It's not what I do. Um you know, but if you want me to take a look at a property with you and say, hey, does this, this property make sense? We can do that. We can sit down and have a conversation and say, does this make sense? And then you can decide, what, you know, if you want to work with us or if you want to go to somebody else. You know, sometimes we're not able to help out everybody. Um, you know, I do have other people I can refer you to if that's the case. Um, but we would love to, you know, we'd love to have that conversation with you. So. Awesome, awesome. And when you reach out to Eric, just let Eric know that you uh you you heard about Eric from MIT podcast. Um, I believe that uh you know this this information will also help Eric to understand that this is not just someone on the street trying to reach out to him, right? Um, Eric, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks again for your time. Do come back. You know. Uh, uh, later on to share with us uh, more insight on, on, on the lending uh, industry and lending world. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Benjamin, and, and have a great day. And I enjoyed this conversation.